0: You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. I thought I was done sweating. I really just thought I was like, it's it's colder now, I'm done sweating. But not this morning, I'm sweating a lot, so... uh, just if TMI probably. You guys are like, we didn't need to know that. Thank you. Um, no, thank you guys so much for uh, for pastors appreciation. I I appreciate you guys so much. And there's not like a there's not like a pastors appreciate their churches month, um, but I do. I want you guys to know that that uh, I truly it is an honor and a privilege to be your pastor. I could not have asked for a more loving, uh, more patient, uh, or forgiving church to be my, my church as I, as I step into being a pastor. And so I am, I'm very thankful uh, to be your pastor. Um, but uh, all that aside, mushy stuff aside, we're continuing our series, Faithful Pursuit, this morning. If you've got your Bibles and you open it up, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. This morning, and um, what we've seen happen so far is, is the Holy Spirit is, is working, the kingdom is growing. Uh, we just saw the entire, like a glimpse of Stephen's ministry in life. We saw uh, that he was serving and doing good things and helping people, and then um, that he is, is falsely accused, brought before the religious leaders, and, and he kind of explains to them that they miss Jesus, that it's like, you, you've missed it. And he's trying to explain this to them, and they get so angry, they just take him, and they, they have him stoned. And so that's where we ended last week with seeing that. And um, this, is, this book of Acts is really the spreading of the gospel, both in the nation of Israel and to the other nations. And that's really what we kind of get to this week. How many of you guys have a drunk, a junk drawer? A drunk drawer? <laughs> Whoa. All right. Uh, I'm done. You guys have a good night. Good rest of your day. <laughs> that was a trick. That was to try to get you guys to admit if you had a problem. If you have a drunk drawer, we got to talk later. Um, I might need some. Uh, how many of you guys have a junk drawer at your house? Yeah? Yeah? There, I, or some people call it a catch-all. Like, like this is just kind of... That, that it's like... I, this, all of the stuff, like you would admit, it's kind of harsh to call it a, dr- a junk drawer. <laughs> Gosh. It's harder to say than you think, Okay? It's harder to say than you think. It's kind of harsh to call it a junk drawer, because it's not junk, right? And you're like, I, where else am I supposed to keep my scissors? Where else am I supposed to keep my coupons? Where else am I supposed to keep my, my batteries? Like, that's where batteries go. Everybody's got batteries in their junk drawer. Whew, Man is important stuff but it's like it, it doesn't really have its own place. And what we get to this morning and again this is just made worse by my speech impediment apparently is kind of like a catch-all chapter in Acts. There's this is kind of several different things kind of lumped in here um in between the 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 beginning of of the Holy Spirit coming to the apostles and then uh starting in the next chapter is really when we get to see Paul and his ministry start. So here we kind of have this like in between the, the story of Stephen and, and before we get to Saul. But, but this, is, this is a really awesome example that we get to see of the gospel really starting to spread outside of the nation of Israel. So we're picking up in Acts chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, and so it, it kind of ends with this like hang there. Um, it's what. It doesn't, my verse one is different than that verse one. Anyway, my verse one starts with, and Saul approved of his execution. That we see that Saul was approving of the execution of Stephen. And then continuing, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds were with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and they saw the signs he did for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was so much joy in that city. There's a really powerful contrast between those two paragraphs there that you see this this really harsh persecution taking place, and then it's it's contrasted with the spread of the gospel by Philip and that there was so much joy in the places where they were carrying the, the gospel. They're starting to feel the pressure of this persecution, and it says that they scattered. But they don't just scatter and go hide. They they scatter with purpose. And and what's so cool is that this is what we see is that what what was meant for evil, God works for good. What was meant for evil, God works for good. Saul is trying to, to, to stomp out The flames of the kingdom of God. He is trying to get rid of all of it. But in reality, it's more like he's throwing water on a grease fire. And the fire is just continuing to spread. The the, the gospel is continuing to spread. And he's using this for good. And what happens is that so many times in our life, we are faced with situations that we say, I don't know why God let this happen, right? That, you know, whatever it could be, there could be so many things that, that hit us, so many areas of our lives are impacted, sickness, death, hurt, all of it's part of life, but God can do something out of those things. God can do something out of those things, use them for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Now, what we have to do is kind of reframe this idea, because it doesn't mean that God caused the persecution, right? Right? God, it wasn't that God caused the persecution of the early church so that they would spread. But he, because it happened, he took it and used it, leveraged it for the benefit of the kingdom. And this is an important mind shift but because it kind of removes, it's part of that removing ourselves as the main character and helping us to view uh, different things as an opportunity. Um, I've talked before about, the difficult season, one of the more difficult seasons in my life is when my mom had breast cancer, and she's fine now, praise the Lord, she is cancer-free, but um, this was a really difficult season for me, and like most of us in that situation, I'm asking, why did God let this happen? That my mom, who has been my, my probably one of my most consistent examples in my life of how to live a way that honors God, that I was like, God, why did you let this happen? And it honestly wasn't until I... Read until, sorry until I was writing this message that I really had the realization that it's not necessarily that he let it happen for x reason, but it's what good can he bring out of what has already happened. My mom has been able to walk with so many other women in her life that she probably wouldn't have had a close connection to, but that when they were diagnosed with breast cancer, my mom was able to come and walk alongside them and help them. I've become more sympathetic to people who, whose family does have cancer through people whose moms are sick. I understand what that is like. I understand what that feels like. There is good that can come out of it, but I don't think any, I know that I can tell you, I wouldn't have said, yeah, God, that's worth the trade, Right? Like, I I don't think any of us would say that that hardship was worth these things. It's just that God can take something that is bad, that is broken, that is hurtful, that is from sin, because all sickness is from sin, all injury is from sin, and he can make something beautiful out of it. And we, we might say the phrase, you know, we may never see why God let this happen. That's true, but in reality, God lets things happen because the the effects of sin are still impacting us in this world. Sometimes the difficult answer is just that bad things happen because of sin. But again, it's what can God do out of it? If you think about the the lineage of Jesus, there's so much of it that I didn't even know until we studied through the book of Exodus that you see um, there, there were so many sinful situations That happened with these people, and that was part of the lineage of Jesus. And I don't think that any of us would say, Oh, well, you know, God wanted that, those sinful things to happen so that Jesus could come out of it. But no, no, no. It's about the fact that God can bring beauty out of brokenness. That's why I love the song that we sang this morning. We sang Graves into Gardens. You turn mourning to dancing, you bring beauty to ashes, you turn shame into glory turn graves into gardens, right? He is the only one who can take the, the, the broken, the hurt, the sin, and bring something good out of it. So the death of Stephen that's resulting in the incredible opportunity of the gospel to spread, again, this was like Saul was throwing water on a grease fire. It just starts to spread the gospel like crazy because God is turning something bad into something good. God is the redeemer. If you're writing notes, I didn't have this in the fill in the blanks, but write this down. God is the redeemer. What's so cool about that word redeem is how do we use that word redeem for the most part now? Like just in your everyday life. What do you redeem? Coupons Coupons or gift cards, right? Let me ask you, if I gave you a $25 Amazon gift card which I don't have. This is not like Oprah. Like, everyone look under your seats. Everyone gets a gift card. No, it's like, but if you have this gift card and you were to just walk up to Walmart and you'd be like, here, I have this. Can I buy something? What would they say? No, that's no good. That has no value. It has no value on its own. Same thing with a coupon. If you were to just walk up with a coupon and be like, I want this thing. They'd be like, that's not how this works. You can't just, that's just a piece of paper. There's no value in and of itself. The power comes through redeeming it, right? The power comes through redeeming it. Redeeming also has this this second meaning that we used, where it's to take something bad and make it good, right? Like you might be like, my pastor, he's crazy, but his redeeming quality is he's kind of funny right? Like, it's like, he's not good to look at, but, you know, his redeeming quality is, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, there's this, there's this good that can come out of. It's like, well, in spite of the, the redeeming fact of the Georgia game yesterday is they won, right? That's the only redeeming factor of that Georgia game yesterday. There's nothing else to take away and be like, man, that was, a, nope, that was terrible. The only redeeming quality is they won. So, so we have these two different words of redeem, and what's so cool is that God is the embodiment of both of them. He is the embodiment of both of these words of redeem because he has redeemed us. He has taken the the broken and called us his own. Just like when you redeem a coupon for a can of soup, you give them this in exchange for the possession. So we are now God's possession because of what he gave. And we all know what God gave was his son. So he gives his son and in return, he gets us. And at the same time, these, these dark things in our lives, these hard situations in our lives, I, I think that we've done ourselves and we've done God a disservice to try to make it like, well, God has a reason why he let that happen instead of saying, well, what can God do from this? Does that make sense? It's just a small shift of our mindset of like, instead of me thinking, why did my, God let my mom get cancer? The question is, what good can come out of it? Because in reality, we live in a broken world. As long as we are here, we are going to have hurt. We are going to have pain. And this is kind of what we talked about on Wednesday nights, is is that should lead us to a desire for more. We're supposed to look at this broken world and go, this is not right. Something is missing. This can't be it, right? Do you guys agree with that? You guys, you're looking a little sleepy. I know the game was late last night, but... Do you look at your life? Do you look at the world around you and just think, this this can't be it. That's part of an innate desire that God put in us for the things of Him. And so while we experience hurt, while we experience death, while we experience loss, while we experience sickness, it is to point us back to Him and to see the good that He can bring out of it. God is the Redeemer. And we see that in this section that Stephen has died, and instead of it just being like they scattered and it's done, God is redeeming the hardship and bringing something good out of it. And before we get into this next section, I want to kind of talk about something before we read it, if that makes sense. So before we read this next part of Acts, uh, I want to talk about who the Samaritans were. It's really important. It's really important that we understand who the Samaritans were. Um, Samaria was the result of the nation of Israel intermarrying with other races, other religions, and kind of breaking away from Israel. And so when we talk about the nation of Israel, when we talk about Jews in scripture, we are talking about Jews that like, they could point to their lineage and be like, I I am full-blooded Jew. We have never married outside of the Jewish lineage. That's what we're talking about. But Samaria, Samaritans, they were kind of this like, it was a result of the unfaithfulness of some of Israel, that they left the nation of Israel. They left in disobedience to go seek after what was comfortable, what was easy, what was right there. And so they, they do that, and there was kind of this, um, this twisted version of Judaism that came out of that. That the Samaritans kind of changed some of Scripture to make them the people of God, uh, and to change where they were supposed to worship instead of worshiping on the temple with Israel. So there was a lot of butting heads between the nation of Israel and the nation of and the Samaritans. They did not get along at all. Jews saw Samaritans as sinful. In in terms of the people, they saw them as dirty, like they were not supposed to even interact with them or they would become unclean. And there's this moment in this next passage that we get to where the Samaritans have believed God and been baptized, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. And that can be really difficult. It can trip us up a lot and think that maybe that receiving the Holy Spirit and salvation are two separate events. But let me tell you why Uh, I don't think that is the case. First of all, they specifically pointed out in this passage, they specifically point out in this passage that they had been saved and baptized, but had not received the Holy Spirit, which is, which is interesting because you know, they're almost making a point that it's like, hey, uh, this is an unusual circumstance. And so that's the, the first thing. The second thing is everywhere else in Scripture, there, it, it seems to be interconnected of salvation and having the Holy Spirit. Salvation and the Spirit of God dwelling in you seem to be this unified thing. There's not other places in Scripture that it's like, hey, you need to be saved and then ask that the Holy Spirit would come to you. And I'll tell you why. So the nation of of Samaria and and Israel did not get along, right? We, We just talked about this. They did not get along. So John and Peter come and pray and give them the Holy Spirit. They come and there's this, this one instance that they come and pray and give them the Holy Spirit. And, and it even says that they, um, it says they went to Samaria to see. It's like Peter and John go to, they're like, let's go check out what's going on in Samaria. Because there was skepticism. There was skepticism and, and if, if, Samari- if the Samaritans had just heard the gospel and they had the Holy Spirit, the, the Jewish Christians would have been like, yeah, but that's probably their version of it. That's probably their version of it. It's probably not real. So the fact that Peter and John were there and and prayed and gave them the Holy Spirit adds so much legitimacy to the nation of Samaria becoming real believers. There was this more. There was this unity instead of division because of what happens here. So we'll see. I know I've said all of this, and you're like like we haven't even read the scripture. So let's read the scripture, okay? Picking up in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8, it says, now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before the Lord. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Again this is a whole lot of content right in this one story and it's kind of broken up into these sections but if you think about the power of this moment the people of Samaria receive the gospel and it begins to take hold of them and change them and it's hard to know exactly much about Simon the sorcerer i did some kind of research on him historically he was kind of a like the religious leader in Samaria at the time it was like he was the guy. He had tons of followers. So the gospel coming kind of starts to like take away from him. And there's not really a way for us to know what happened because he's not brought up again after this. There's no way to know if, if he was truly remorseful or if he was just like, hey, I don't want to die. Please take that voodoo away from me. Like, I don't want this. So I don't know if, if he was just trying to avoid the consequences or if he was truly repentant and sorrowful there's not really any way for us to know that but what's interesting to me I think the thing that we take away from this is that he had accepted the gospel expecting one thing but didn't fully understand and that's the importance of discipleship that's the importance of discipleship is we have to train people in in what it means to be a Christian and what it looks like to live a life as a Christian there are so many misconceptions about what it means to be a Christian. So many, so many people who have never been to church, who don't have any relationship with God, even even people who have grown up going to church, have a misconception of what it means to be a Christian. And so when people come to Christ with these misconceptions, we have to train them on what the Bible actually says. That's why Jesus doesn't just end the Great Commission with, go and baptize people. Right? That's not what the Great Commission says. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This idea of being a disciple wasn't just a cool, I accepted God when I was at church, now I can go, I'm good. Kind of like fire insurance, have you heard it as that? That it's like, you know, I don't have to go to hell. I got saved once, so I'm good. That's not what the word disciple means. Disciple means somebody who is studying, somebody who is actively seeking to grow in their knowledge of what it looks like to be a Christian. So when he says, go and make disciples, it wasn't just, hey, tell people about me and then wish them the best of luck. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2, it's, it's got my favorite uh, passage on, on teaching others. It says, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. There's this aspect of like being qualified, of understanding, of growing, of passing this information along. that's why I don't love the the big, um, you know, I I think Billy Graham was fantastic. He was an incredible speaker. So many people got saved. But if there's no follow-up, right, if it's just like, hey, you got saved, go try to figure out what that means. That's a difficult task, right? If you were to just try to pick up a Bible and just try to understand it by yourself, I'm not saying it's impossible. But it's really difficult without community, without other people, without somebody helping teach you. The same is true for those who are born again. You think about a kid, right? Kids know absolutely nothing. Wouldn't it be ridiculous if if we gave birth to children and just said, all right, you got life, go try to figure it out? That would be ridiculous. And so when the Bible tells us that we need to be born again, it means we've got to relearn some things too, means we have to kind of be trained and be taught on how to live, how to walk, how to eat, how to breathe in a way that is a way that honors God, just like all kids have to. We kind of have to start over. We are a new creation. We have to learn what it means to live as a new creation. Years ago, uh, I was having a conversation with somebody who um, was like new to Christianity that had not really been... Uh, they were new. And so we were having a conversation. The topic of pornography came up, and I mentioned something about pornography being sinful. And uh, they were like, what, really? And I was like, uh, yeah, that's definitely like lust. Like you can't, you're not going to watch pornography and not lust. And they're like, nobody's ever told me that. Like nobody's ever told me that. It's so important that we are able to have conversations with people to point them out to it. So they're not like, oh, man, I didn't know. There's no way for them to know. When I look at Simon the magician, I think that he probably, he went in with this misconception of, oh, okay, all I have to do is is I have to do all of these things, and now I have the power to give people the Holy Spirit. That's what he thought living the Christian life was about. Because he hadn't learned, he hadn't been taught And I'm not pointing at the disciples like, look at these failures, like they didn't figure it out. That's not what I mean. I just mean like like that's a great example of what it can be if we don't take steps to teach other people. How will people know what it means to follow Christ if no one teaches them? Simon had to be taught what the Holy Spirit is. Discipleship is training for all of us. We all need help with our blind spots the parts of us that we may not even realize that we're doing wrong or taking steps in the wrong wrong direction that we can't figure out on our own. Teach others and find opportunities to be taught. That's what discipleship is. Teach others and find opportunities to be taught. That's part of growing, is realizing that you have something to offer someone else and finding what they have to offer you. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you suddenly understand everything doesn't mean that it's like, oh man, I'm saved. Now I understand all things. It's not like enlightenment and nirvana that we've like arrived, right? We're born again. We've got to figure these things out. The most beautiful part of this passage to me that we see the gospel reaching the nation, reaching the people of the, the Samaritans is to see God's plan to take the gospel to people who couldn't stand each other and unite them under the banner of Jesus because the gospel unites The gospel unites. One thing that uh, some of you may already know, but if you don't, one thing you should know about me is I'm really sensitive to racial issues. I I grew up in an area that most of the people I went to high school did not look like me. And so when it comes to racial issues, that's something that's really close and near to my heart. And to me, that's one of the beauties of this passage is the disdain that the Jews and Samaritans had towards each other was this intense racism. Racism. I mean, I think that if you feel like you can't be near another race because they make you dirty, like that's pretty racist, right? And so I, what, what excites me, what I love about this passage is the, the, the racial unity that we see start to happen because of Jesus. And humanity, as people, we are really good at dividing. And we're starting to see that more and more in our world today. We're we're becoming so tribal and that if you're not part of my group, I'm going to push you away. If you don't think like I think, I'm going to push you away. We are really good as humans at dividing. We will find any reason to push people away. And the gospel calls us to put those things aside for the sake of unity. My dad was telling me about something that he saw on Facebook, which again, that's why I don't go on Facebook that somebody had reposted something that a pastor said. And the pastor said, the Bible, as a Christian, I'm not called to unity. I'm called to stand for what's right. And I was like, "I, I was. My, it made my blood boil. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're not called to unity? When Jesus prays for us in John chapter 17, the first thing he prays for is unity. He's like, be unified. I pray that you will bring them unity. We see in this passage here the desire the gospel has to unite people who hate each other. The Jews and the Samaritans, they hated each other on a spiritual level, thought they made them unclean. But what God does is he comes and unites. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26, it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Our only enemy is is the evil one. We have to stop seeing each other. We have to stop seeing other humans, other people as the enemy. We have to see them as lost, as broken, as victims of sin who need to be rescued. Too often we see them as the enemy because they're doing things that we don't agree with. We can get such bad tunnel vision because of our own worldview, because of because of living here, because of kind of this bubble we've been in, that we forget that this is a global gospel. We forget that Jesus was not an American. The Bible wasn't written in English, and all of this didn't just happen so that Americans could be free. God cares far more about your spiritual freedom than your political freedom. We get so worked up about these different temporary things, and we lose sight of the fact that there are real eternities of human beings at stake around us. I loved going to Jubilee Partners a couple weeks ago because we got to sing worship in Spanish. We got to read scripture in Spanish. Now, did we understand what we were saying? Absolutely not. I know, like, I knew the word for corazón means heart. I knew that one. I was like, cool, got that one. Uh, I know Dios is God. Good. And so, like, a couple times, I'm like, I got that word. Um, but it was such a reminder that this is a global gospel. That it wasn't just written in English for us as Americans. That, that we, right now, if you think about, like, this time zone, you got the Eastern time zone. We got, uh, I think down there in Brazil, they're on the same time zone as us. There are people in Brazil worshiping in Portuguese right now, doing what we are doing, worshiping God, studying Portuguese scripture, talking to God, the same God we are, There is so much more that we should be striving for unity that it's like, man, how do I get so caught up with with these things and, and forcing myself into divisions instead of choosing unity? You have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in China and think communism is great. And we should strive for unity with those brothers and sisters because every kingdom will pass away, period, except for the kingdom of God. And so when we look at these things that divide us, these, these wars that are fought are not fought over the kingdom of God. We're called to, to step up to a bigger version of unity that should override everything else. And I think that what's great about where our country is headed is the beauty that can come from the ashes. Because I think we can all agree that our country is headed to a place where the word Christian doesn't mean that I follow God all the time, right? But we're headed to a place where it's gonna force us as real Christians to remember what's important because we're gonna feel like we're in this together, Right now, we have a tendency to kind of assume everybody we interact with is also a believer. It's like, oh, yeah, I, we live in Georgia, we live in the South, everybody I interact with is also a believer. But when you have unity with somebody, after, after Georgia won today, right? You guys come in and you're like, go dogs, right? Like it was, it was a close one, but go dogs. Could you imagine what, what you would feel like if, if you were uh, in another part of the country and you saw someone in Georgia stuff? You'd be like, go dogs. We're on the same team, right? We were in New York City on vacation one time and uh, walking down the street, and my dad had actually worked for Turner Broadcasting for years. My dad was an audio engineer at Turner Broadcasting. He's wearing a Braves shirt. The Braves had just played the Mets. Go Braves. Braves had just played the Mets, and Braves won. He's walking down the street. This is a true story. Ted Turner walks past him, and he says, heard they did good today, to my dad. And my dad was like, Ted Turner. Ted Turner. There was this moment where for one second, my dad and Ted Turner, which not a whole lot in common, right? My dad and Ted Turner were like, go Braves. There's this moment of unity that it's like, you know what? I know we are surrounded by Yankees fans. I know we are surrounded by Mets fans, but go Braves. I can't wait for us as Christians to get to that. I think that we've gotten spoiled. And we've started to think, you know what? Everybody I interact with is a Christian as long as they agree with me. Instead of seeing other churches and other cars pulling out of parking lots of the Methodist church and be like, go Jesus. Like, man, we're on the same team. We're in this together. And and start to value our 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 citizenship of the kingdom of heaven over everything else. Even over sports teams. I know that's hard. I know it's hard. But we gotta love Christian Gator fans. You got to love Christian Tennessee fans. They can be believers too. I know. I know it's hard. There should be this sense of camaraderie. We have this victory is in Jesus. So when we see someone in a Christian t-shirt or we see someone with a fish on the back of their car, it's like, man, isn't God good? I don't care if they wear the the badge of Lutheran or Methodist or Baptist or Pentecostal or Catholic. Whatever it is, if someone believes in the gospel, you're going to spend eternity with them. You might as well be nice to them now, right? You're on the same team. You have a common enemy. It's incredible to see in this passage that God had in mind unifying these two groups of people that hated each other. And he knew that he had to make it clear to them that they're on the same team. He's like, I know that these two groups, I have to have them know to have Peter and John come and endorse the gospel in Samaria and so that they can see that the Samaritans are real and the, and the Samaritans see, hey, these Jews value us and our citizenship as brothers and sisters brings this unity to the early church. And my prayer is that we would so highly prioritize the kingdom of God that everything else is less important. And we will remember that we serve a global God. We serve the Redeemer who can take terrible things and bring beautiful things out of them. And he redeemed us to himself and he calls us his own. Once he redeems us, he calls us to grow in our knowledge and understanding, living for him, knowing that we are called to be unified with other believers regardless of our temporary differences, united in the love for our redeemer. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the beauty that is in this passage, that we get to see you work the the terrible event of the, the... the martyr of Stephen, that he was killed for for believing and preaching the gospel, and you used that to spread the gospel to the other nations, God, that you carried the gospel to us. God, I pray that you would help us to understand that this is a global gospel, that we wouldn't see ourselves in in the frame of that that because we live here, we have a special access to God, but realize that, that we have brothers and sisters in other countries who have different philosophies, who speak different languages, who live different lifestyles than us, but we all serve the one victorious God. I pray that you would help us to realize that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but God, that the people that we walk around with, that we interact with, that that leave us feeling broken, that have broken relationships and, and live lives trying to find purpose, God, it's not out of evil. It is because they are under the power of sin. God, I pray that you would help us to see that and to help rescue, that we would do our part to share the gospel, to rescue those around us from hell. So that we can all spend eternity with our Father, who is so good. It's your name, we pray. Amen.